That's a beautiful thing, forgiveness is. Because my mom, she taught, me, she taught me better than that. Uh, matter of fact, last Sunday I introduced you to my dad. This morning I want to introduce you to my, to my mom. Quite a lady, more importantly, quite a Christian lady. Uh, she, she grew up in a, in a very poor home. That's her in the middle. And, and she's 85 there, but, but she grew up down outside of Liberty and grew up in a very poor home. My, my grandfather was, well, he was a rough man. He, he wasn't a real good man. The first time my grandmother ever met him after, um, well, before they got married, uh, he just gotten out of prison. They told me it was actually the penitentiary. My papa was a he, he was a rough guy, and uh, he was a bootlegger. And the revenueers were always chasing him, and he was breaking the law. And he was he wasn't taking care of his family. And there were there were eight kids that lived. There were four that didn't live, um, but eight did live. And and life was very hard growing up in that home. And my mom's told me so many different stories. But um, I remember asking my grandmother uh, at Wesley Long Hospital there in Wendover on Greensboro years ago. She's laying in the bed. I'm standing beside of her bed. And I said, Mama, um, if you had to do it all over again, would you have married Papa? I'll never forget what she said. Two words. Can I quote? Lord, no. <laughs> and that, that wasn't a joke. She really meant that. She really, she really meant that because it was so hard and and mom would tell me about the times when my grandfather would be drunk and he would make these terrible um, statements of what he was going to do. And, and all eight kids and my grandmother would leave the house and run down the road and it'd be raining and they'd be crying and squalling. And it was hard. They'd go to bed hungry night after night. And, and my mom, she said, we didn't grow up going to church a lot because my grandmother, you understand, back in the 40s, early 40s, um, People had what they called church clothes. You remember? You had, you had your Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. You had the clothes you wore during the other part of the week, but when it was Sunday, you put on your best, you put on your finest. And it didn't matter whether you were downtown Boulevard or you were Backwoods Church or you were Mountains or you were City. On Sunday mornings, you wore your best. And they didn't have best. And so my grandmother was ashamed, so she wouldn't send her kids, my, my mom and my aunts and uncles, she wouldn't send them to church. But there was a man that lived down the road. I think his name was Harvey. Lived there on Richland Church Road in Randolph County. Connects um, Old 421 to 49. On this end of it, I think it's like Timber Lake Ridge Road. But it crosses over and becomes Richland Church Road. And, and there was a man that lived on that road. He was a godly man. He was a caring man. And he would sometimes stop by the house and he would pick up as many kids as he could get in his vehicle. And, and they would drive down to Smithwood Church. You know, Smithwood Church. And mom, she said, I was 12 years old. And she said, I remember sitting on the front pew of that church and I would look over here to that man. I think his name was Harvey. And she said, I wanted to trade places with him. Because I knew that he was saved. She said, I knew that he was going to heaven and I knew that I was going to hell. And I wanted to trade places with him. Not that she wanted him to go to hell, but you know what, what she was saying. She was 12 years old, and then it would be nine years later, nine years later, 21 years of age, young married lady. And she got in her car, and she drove to Woody Murphy's, the preacher in the town, at the little church, Siler City Chapel, and 
And Woody led her to Christ. 21 years old. She gave all that she had to him. 64 years later, she still gives all that she has to him. The reason I, I tell you that story is because of what happened just the other day. I went down to Siler outside of Seal Cope where she lives there on J. Van Smith Road. And, and I walked in the kitchen as I normally do. And there on the kitchen table, it looked like it, it looked so often. I've seen it a multitude of times. But on that particular day, I took a picture. Now, to you, it looks somewhat like a mess, but it is the very clear message that this picture shares that I want to share with you because it has everything to do with the message today. On our kitchen table, there's the life application from every chapter of the Bible, G. Campbell Morgan's book, that green one that stands out. There's this little book on there, classic, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, he, he wrote it. Brother Lawrence says, The Practice of the Presence of God. And then there's the classic by Philip Keller, the shepherd you know, looks at the 23rd Psalm. And she's got her Bible studies for life, her, her leader guide that she uses to teach her Sunday school class at Fellowship Baptist Church there in Siler City. And on that table at the top left hand, part of the table, you'll see a Bible that's closed. Now, normally it is open. That's not her favorite Bible, the one that she's got all the notes written in, but that's just one of her Bibles, and, and it's almost always open. But on that day when I had the picture, it was closed, but she's got her Bible there. And on the left-hand part of the screen, there's a jar. It's got Bible verses in it where she'd pull one out, and she'd be reminded of its truth, or, or many of them she's just memorized over the years. I don't know how many hundreds of Bible verses she's memorized over the years. She's got her two recipe, well, two of her recipe books, and, and then one little card there where even at 85 years old, if somebody in the community dies, or there's somebody who's going through a hard time, or life made a left turn, she'll fix them something. She'll get in her little Toyota car, and she'll drive 21 miles an hour down the road, and she'll <laughs> deliver it. You understand. And then, you know, life happens. And so on the table, there's her eye drops for the macular generation and, and Duke Energy because there's bills to pay. That's just life, right? But I looked at that and I took the picture because it's a very, very clear message. That's what's normal in her house. The reason that I show you that picture is because it underscores the fact that even at 85 years old, Mom continues to pursue her king. She continues to grow her faith. She continues to help others grow her faith. As long as memory in me goes back, I remember and still see this lady that serves and loves on people and does what she can to make their lives a better place to live. And she just, she just gives of herself. Uh, even when she has no strength left, she gives of herself. One of the reasons that I am... Who I am is because of her. She's really outside of Jesus. She's the main reason. And, and I'm not much, but I'm a lot better much than I would have been had it not been for her. Because of what she did. What she modeled is what Paul said to Timothy, which is not our main text for today, but it's one of the texts. And what Paul said to Timothy, he says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know the same faith continues strong in you. And that was in, that was in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Well, when you get over to the very next chapter in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the very first verse says, he says, You then, my child, Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me, 
in the presence of many witnesses, in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, what you have seen and heard in me, what you have witnessed in me, the conversations that we have had together, the victories we've had, the defeats we've had, the truths we've learned, the lives we have intersected, the things that I have poured into you and that we have talked about together, you entrust those things to others. Who will be able to, down the line, teach others also? You see the the replication, you see the effect. The reason, the main reason the New Testament church exists today is because those early believers, our Christian forebears, our Christian fathers and mothers in the faith, they did that. They took that faith that was, was planted in them and they planted it in the lives of other people. And they did that generation after generation after generation. They didn't just dunk them and desert them. They didn't just say, well, we're glad that you're saved. We'll see you next Sunday. Hope you make it. And a lot of people don't. Any more than you would bring a baby home, 7 pounds, 12 ounces, perfect little child, everything about it is wonderful, and you bring that child home, and you celebrate it for a few hours, maybe a few days, and then you put it out on the porch and say, listen, little junior, you are on your own, baby. <laughs> now, if you need something, we're in here. If you need something, call, and, and, and if we can, we'll be out here for you. But man, this world is a dark, rough place, and you might as well get used to figuring it out. We got your place out here on the porch. You realize we do people like that sometimes in the church? We dunk them, and then we desert them. We hope that they make it. We hope that it turns out okay for them, but for so many, it doesn't turn out okay so I, I, just want you, I just want you to think about this question. The question is this. What's wrong with being a church that just wins people to Jesus? I've heard people say that. We just, we just want to win people to Jesus. Now, for sure, we are about winning people for Christ. We are about winning people for Jesus. We are about that. But, that, but here's the question. What's wrong with being a church that just wins people to Jesus? Well, Mike, if you ask a question, you ought to answer the question. So I'll give you my opinion. Give you my opinion. So here's a dollar bill. We're going to throw the dollar bill right down here. Oops. There's a dollar bill. And this little blue card right here, which is worthless, this represents, this represents my opinion. So I'm saying to you that down there is something that is worth at least a dollar. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? My opinion does not matter. If I could talk you into something, somebody else could talk you out of it. If I could talk you out of something, somebody else could talk you into it. What I think does not matter. What does matter is what he says. About what? Well, about everything. About, about everything in life. And when I look at what he says in his word, he says it this way. He says in answer to the question, well, what's wrong with being a church that just wins people to Jesus? He says this. You go and you make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and, and behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. I have asked church leaders that question from all across the country, from at least 30 different states. And when I would ask church leaders 
from across the nation. When you look at the Great Commission, what is the main verb in the Great Commission? And almost invariably, at least 90% of the times, what church leaders will say is this. Go! And we're excited about go, you know, because the go, the go is the evangelism. Go reach people for Christ. But you know that is not the main verb in the Great Commission. Matter of fact, take your copy of God's Word. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to begin in verse 16. Matthew 28, 16. Gospel of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, chapter 28, last chapter in the book, beginning at the end of the chapter there, verse 16. Here's what God says. Here's what Jesus said. Verse 16, Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So in our marching orders, church, in the great commission that he's given to his church, what is the main verb in the great commission? In our marching orders, what's, what's the main verb? That's it. In, in Greek, it's one word, but in English, we translate it into two, word, into two words. Those two words are make disciples. It's the main verb. That's the only verb in the great commission is, is, is to make disciples. Make disciples. Everything in this, these verses are vital, but the main verb is to make disciples. So just stop right there. Who's Jesus saying that to? Because it says in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. But my question is this, Who is Jesus saying make disciples to? Who's he saying that to? Person beside of me. Is that right? Person on the other side of me. Is that right? The person in front of me. Poke the person in front of you and say, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. Look at the person to your left and say, you're it. You're it. The person says, no, I'm not it. No, I'm telling you, you're it. Because Jesus said, you and I go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, Now, there are three incredibly helpful words that revolve around this one main, most important verb, the three words, go, baptize, and teach. Go, baptize, and teach. Now, some of you who diagrammed sentences years ago, you know that, that all three of those words, go, baptize, and teach, they're not the main verb, they're participles. It's translated, as you were going. Would you just fill that in on your sheet? Th- those two blanks. Make disciples. As you are going... Make disciples. As you are going, that's the evangelism. That's that, that wonderful part where we, we invite individuals to come to know the king and, and to begin this relationship, this journey that lasts forever. It is the gospel, which is not just about saving us, but it's about keeping us and about sanctifying us and about molding us into the image, that we be conformed into the image of Christ. The gospel is all of that. But, but evangelism, that is the go part. As you are going, make disciples. And then he says... And as you're baptizing, make disciples. Baptism's a wonderful thing. Someone accepts Christ as Savior, and then one of the first things that they do after that is they say, I want the world to know 
that I am an unashamed follower of Jesus Christ, that this Savior who died for me has redeemed me from the pit, and I belong to Him, and I am forever a child of God. My name's been written in the Lamb's book of life. I belong to the King. I'm a child of heaven's creator. I, I am saved. Thank God I've been born again. I'm a Christian. I want the world to know that, I've, that I belong to Him, and they're, they're baptized. It's a glorious thing. As... As you are going, make disciples. As you are baptizing, make disciples. Third thing that he said, as you are teaching, also participle, teaching. As you are teaching, make disciples. We did this exercise in here this past Wednesday night. We're going to continue it because we need to elaborate a little bit more than we had time to do this past Wednesday night. So somewhere on your sheet to the right of those three blanks, well, those Six blanks, you filled in the words, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. Somewhere to the right of that, would you just do this? Draw a line and then draw a circle. Draw a line and then draw a circle. Which direction? Doesn't make any direction. Just a line and a circle. But on your paper, you need a line and a circle. You're going to draw two things on that piece of paper. You cannot leave here today unless you draw two things on that piece of paper. What are those two things you're going to write, class? A line and a circle. Look at the person beside you. If they have not drawn that, make them draw that. You need to draw a line in a circle, a line in a circle, a line in a circle. That line in that circle, both of them represent church practice. That is, how we do church. Not just how Lambs does church, how, how churches do church. For clarification, both the line and the circle are both biblical. They are both mandated by God. It's not an either or, it's a both and. The line is what we are experiencing this morning. It's what we experience on Wednesday night. The line are the rows. And there are a lot of rows in here. And you, you, we come and we, we stand in rows and we sit in rows. And we stand in rows and we sit in rows. And, 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 and we worship together. And we, we stand and we praise or we sit and we praise. And we stand and we sing and we open the word of God. And we study and we learn and we, we celebrate and we laugh and we cry, cry. And we listen to what God is saying to us. And we open the word of God and we listen to the Spirit speak to us. And we do that in lines. And we look at the person's back of their head that's right in front of us. Sometimes we get distracted by it. We want to reach up and, well, we... <laughs> lines. And Hebrews said that it's a good thing. The lines are a good thing. Don't, don't stop doing that. Don't, don't neglect that forsaking the assembly of yourselves together. It's a good thing that we come together. And it's a crucial part of our faith. What we do in lines is, is indispensable. This is lines. But there's also something else you drew on that piece of paper. What is that? It's a circle. In the Bible, there's also the circle. It's an individual setting across from another individual. It, it might be down at the blend. It might be at Bojangles. It might be in your living room or on your front porch or on your back porch. It, it might be in a, in a restaurant somewhere. It might be out in a barn. It could be, it could be in, in any building somewhere. It might be in, a, in an office space. It do, doesn't really make any difference where it is. It, the fact that it's, 
It's an individual that's sitting across from another individual or, or other individuals. It's a, it's a small group. They are opening the Bible together. They're doing life together. They're growing in community together. It's iron sharpening iron. It's relationships. It might be one-on-one or one-on-two or one-on-three or two-on-ten. But it's, it's, it's a place where we're building and growing and we are discipling and we are growing one another. Discipleship is taking place. There is no substitute for that on this side of heaven. There's not, there's not one. I want you to look at a picture. You'll, you'll recognize the picture, well, at least part of it. On the right-hand side of the screen, Pastor Scott, the, the camera's shooting past Scott. He, he's looking out here, and as, he, as the camera looks out here, do you see the lines? The people are in the lines. They're in the lines. They're in the lines. That is an indispensable part of, of being church and doing church. Some of you are looking to see, well, I'm, am I in that picture? Well, I hope, I hope you are. I hope you're out there somewhere. And, and, and that is important. But what's happening on the left picture is as crucial as what happens in the right picture. And the, on, on the left picture, well, there's Hannah Engel. And she happens to be sitting in the loft with, a, with some middle school students. And they're, they're talking and, and they're growing and they're asking questions and they're laughing and they're researching and they're discipling and that's what happens in the circle when Jesus said go go make disciples of all the nations baptizing and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you to observe all that I've commanded you you cannot do all of that disciple making in lines and you cannot accomplish it on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights alone you'll never see that in here as a matter of fact, most of the times you see iron sharpening iron. Most of the time in the scriptures you see discipleship taking place. It's not in lines. It's in circles. Most of the time you watch Jesus, he's saying things, or the Bible is saying things like, and Jesus drew his disciples together and... If I counted it right, you can fact check me. I, I could be wrong on the number, but I think that I counted. And, and Jesus' ministry is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's six times that it talks about him being in the synagogue. And over a hundred times, he's just out and about doing life with people and doing life with his disciples and then pulling them aside and discipling them and helping them. We are not minimizing the line. Because the line is important. But what has happened in so many churches down through the years is the line has become almost all important. And it's not a biblical model. So if we're going to do what we do as church, we want to follow how Jesus does it. Healthy congregations always have two spaces. Regardless of size. It has nothing to do with size. You could be in a church of 50 people and you would still have these two spaces. You could be in a church of 5,000 people and you'd still have these two spaces. Represented by the line and represented by the, the circle. And I submit to you that in both of these cases, and of course those pictures are taken here. In both of these cases, both the small group and the large group, the circle and the line, they are equally equally important both of them are valid both of them are biblical ways there are two kinds of spaces in churches large group and small group group both equally important i say that because i need to say this and i want you to listen very carefully um, i'm not making this up because this goes against how most of us were raised and what we were modeled in churches 
to our detriment, and it continues today, across this land, we have churches that are so struggling because we have made this major and unbiblical error. And here's the error. To our own detriment, we have elevated large and we have marginalized small. So, we have elevated large group. We've elevated what we do in the worship center. We've elevated Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And in most churches across this land, we have marginalized discipleship in small groups. And it is why this year... Thousands of churches in America will close their doors for good. I said thousands. It's literally thousands and thousands. And it happened last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. And it's happening this year and it's going to happen next year. Unless the church goes back to doing what Jesus said when he said, you got to go and make disciples. you got to go and make disciples. Because that's our business. That's the main verb. I've told you this before. One church, they literally did this. Church closed its doors, put a sign on the door, gone out of business. We forgot what our business was. That was honest. That'll break your heart. To our detriment. We've elevated large and we've marginalized small. You shake your heads and make your noise. And you know, when I, when I say that, we've, we've elevated large and we've marginalized small. Go ahead and make your noise and go, Mm. Mm. So when I say, when I say that, that sentence again, when I repeat it again, you make your noise, you go, mm. Mm. all right, here it goes. All right. we, to our detriment, we have elevated large group and we have marginalized small group. Oh. Do, you fear the, do you feel that moan that went across the congregation? I know you did that because I asked you to do that. But you get it. You get it. It's... it's We've made the line a big deal and the circle a smaller deal or no deal in churches across this land. Would you write this somewhere on your sheet? Write it big, but would you write this? There is nothing small about a small group. There is nothing small about a small group. Small groups, communities, these fellowship groups that are part of the larger body of Christ. It's, it's, it's there where relationships are grown and community happens. It's in that small group, that life group, whatever you call it, the discipleships take place. That, that spiritual transformation develops. It's there in that small group that ministry happens and all kinds of fun things take place. It's in that small group where people say things like, I've got a question. See, you can't do that in here. I mean, you, you, just, you just don't. Don't start, please, but, you know. <laughs> Mike, I've got a question. Pastor Scott, could we just stop the service and, and could we spend five minutes just kind of unpacking that thing that you just... See, in a large group, you just don't get to do that. But in sm- that's one of the beauties of small group. And one of the cool things about small group is they can just, they can just meet anywhere. And our church, like most churches, if we do this small group world right, 
the building will never be able to hold all the small groups that should exist in any healthy congregation. I mean, the building's just never designed to do that. The build, it's never designed. I think we've got somewhere around 50 small groups right now as a, as a part of our, of our ministry and our church family. And we're growing and we're developing more. And we're going to continue to develop more. And this fall we're excited to launch um, and continue to expand small group ministry. The hope would be that all of us would be involved. Maybe one-on-one, one-on-three, one-on-ten, but all, one-on-ten. But all of us would be involved in iron sharpening iron in community. And getting together with other individuals outside of Sunday morning, Wednesday night. Well, how many groups could we have? I don't know. How many could God, could God bring about? How, how many, Mike, how many of us should be involved in, in, in small groups and in other people's lives? Well, that would be like 100% of us. That would be like 100% of us. But if, but if in the model that you grew up in, in a church, if you grew up in that model where small groups were kind of marginalized, then they, they really weren't that important. And we just, we just couldn't wait till we got in the worship center, in the sanctuary, in the big house, until we got to worship, you know. And, and some of us, we, we grew up in some small groups that were pretty unhealthy. It's just us here now, so it's just us. How many of you have experienced an unhealthy small group? Raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand. I know, I know many of us have. Down through the years, it's like, ooh, I don't think that's what a small group was supposed to be like. And so we're working on strengthening groups. We're going to start new small groups. We're going to train up small group leaders. Some of you will end up being a small group leader. Today, some of you go, I'd rather French kiss a rattlesnake than lead a small group. I just, I just can't even imagine doing that. But we're going, to, we're going to train you to do that. We're going to train you how to develop it. And, and if you're a small group leader, we're going to train you how to be an even better small group leader. And we're going to deal with some of the issues and problems that people have in their lives and, and how you address that. And we're going to teach you how to be a better Bible study teacher and how, do you, how, do, how you can interact with people in such a way that God uses that relationship to draw some things out of them that otherwise would not take place in here, in here. You know, at our church, um, it's, it's a growing and exciting thing to think about this, this group culture. And it's always been true. It's been true for thousands of years throughout history. Discipleship takes place best in small communities. It just does. We need the line. We also need the circle. And we're pretty good about coming together and getting in line. Sometimes we struggle a little bit with getting in a circle. When I was a, when I was a junior in high school, God called me into ministry. I can take you to the place. It was, it was a Saturday night. It was midnight. It was on a snow-covered mountain at Valley Crucis, up, up the mountain outside of Boone, and God called me to ministry that night. I, I mean, I can take you to the place that I was standing when he said, this is what you're going to do. I said, okay. I didn't know what all that meant. I still don't know what all that means. But, but as a you know, 17-year-old young man growing up and experiencing things and, and learning and training and developing for ministry and, and failing and succeeding and Failing and failing and failing and failing and messing up and messing up. And then succeeding and, and getting it right and then getting it wrong, getting it wrong, getting it wrong. And, and that's just life, right? But what I watched happen 
as, as a young man growing up in ministry and, and, and seeking to do what God had called me to do, I watched this phenomenon happen in churches. I, I watched for decades church leaders. In churches of all sizes, in churches of all denominations, you could go to an annual meeting somewhere, you could go to an associational meeting, associational, you could go to a conference, to a seminar, whatever. You, you're sitting under the leaders. And here's what I heard most. What I heard most was, guys, we got to grow the church. It's all about church growth. What I did not hear was, it's really more about church health. Church health. Because if a church is healthy, she grows. If a church is healthy, things happen in large groups and in small groups the way that they're supposed to happen. But for years, so many of us, what we've experienced in church life is, it's all about church growth. It's all about getting people in the building. We love to get people in the building. We love it when people come to faith in Christ. But that is not all that there is on this journey. Go and make disciples. That's what he said. That's what he said. And some of you are thinking about, okay, small groups. What's that look like? On your, on your paper, on your handout, you'll see this box. And in that box, there are two words. And those two words are small groups. Now, right now, don't write in the box. Don't, don't write anything in the box. Could I emphasize right now, please do not write in the box. But outside of the box, would you do this? Would you, would you try to write down your definition, your understanding, what your explanation, if you were trying to explain to someone what is a small group? Write your definition of that. Take 60 seconds. Write down your definition of a small group. What do you think a small group is? You might write down why a small group exists. But, but take a moment. Think through that. Why does God make such a big deal about getting us into small communities so that iron can sharpen iron, so that people can come to Christ, so that we can grow people in the faith, so we can have a place to ask questions and succeed and fail and, and grow and develop and get it right and get it wrong and, and train people and give people an opportunity to test their wings. and I mean, why does God make such a big deal of that in the Bible? Why is it that discipleship best takes place in a small group setting? Small groups, what are they? Why do they exist? You have 10 more seconds out of that 60 seconds. Some of us A-types, we, we, we time that. He's got 10 more seconds left, okay? I'm almost finished. So I'm, I'm just interested in what, what, your definition, what your definition is. I've taken a shot at one definition. It's not the best definition. Your definition might be better than my definition. But I'm going to throw a definition up on the screen. And if, if you like mine better than yours, then put mine in the box. If you like yours better than mine, then put yours in the box. But here's, here's a definition of a small group. It really comes out of the heart of Scripture, but, but here's my definition of a small group. Small groups are the foundational... What's that next word? Strategy. It's a strategy. It's like a plan. It's like a developmental method that we put together to engage people. Small groups are the foundational strategy in a local church. Number one, for leading people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we just dunk them and drop them. Is that right? No. Leading people to faith in Christ and for building Great Commission Christians that engage people in community, in fellowship, in relationships, that engage people in community evangelism, discipleship, service, ministry, worship. 
Well, Mike, where's prayer at in that? Well, prayer is part of discipleship. So, if you like your definition of small group better, then just write yours in, in the box. If you like my definition of small group better, then just put mine in the box. But put something in the box. Please, put something in the box. Small groups exist for that. It was a Sunday. His name was Brandon. He came to faith in Christ. And, um, you know, when somebody comes to faith in Christ, you want to immediately get them on a process of growth. And so I said to Brandon, Brandon, i got to run out of town uh, for, for a few days. But would you do this between now and the time we get together again? Would, would you just read through the Gospel of John? I thought, well, you know, John's kind of long. And 21 chapters, and it'll take him a while. He's a brand new believer. I'll never forget, it was it, that Sunday he got saved. I said, read through John. And uh, Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning, morning, like 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, I remember, oh, this is embarrassing. I was in the men's room at a Hampton Inn and Suites somewhere in the nation. I don't remember what state I was in. That didn't sound good either, did it? I don't remember what state I was in. Um, and my, my phone rang. And it was Brandon. The first words that came out of his mouth, he said, he said, Mike, he said, I've already read, read through John. What's next? Did, do you get that? He gets saved. Read John. He sits down. He reads through the whole gospel. And then he wants to know, well, what's next? What's next? When you get people in community, all kinds of, of beautiful things happen. It etches something inside of them that is just, is just priceless. If you would look at church practice like this, because in the Bible it really is like this. Um, you know, the truth is the larger a church becomes, the smaller it has to become. But spiritual transformation has to have these four components. It's like, it's like legs on a chair. It's like you, you have to have all four of them. That's not anywhere in your notes, but, but write, write these four down. For spiritual transformation to take place, for disciples to be made, these four things have to happen. Number one, there's the line. That, that's what we do in, in a congregation. That's what we do as part of a church family. I, I come together with the people of God, normally on Sundays, and some churches are Sundays and Sunday nights, mornings and Sunday nights, and then Wednesday nights. But I, I come together as the people of God. That, that's part of the journey. It's the line. For spiritual transformation to take place, number two, there has to be, guess what goes in number two? The circle. There has to be the circle. There has to be the circle. Don't minimize, don't minimize, minimize what God maximizes. There has to be the circle. So there's the, there's the large group and then there's the small group. Number three, in order for spiritual transformation to take place, for discipleship to happen biblically and in a healthy, balanced way in the life of a congregation, individually, Number three, there's also the closet. There's also the closet. Needed to find that. It's going into the closet. Meaning, there is a time where I am getting alone with God. It's just me and Him. I'm not around anybody. I am just having some time with God. Whatever you call that, your, your quiet time, your devotion, your journey, whatever you call it, it's, it's a time with just you 
and God. And fourthly, for spiritual transformation to take place, there has to be this fourth component, the one that we've probably neglected more than anything else in the life of church practice, and is it's this thing of a community that I'm a part of, that, that I am developing. And you say, well, that sounds an awful lot like number two. Well, it is similar to number two, but, but I'm just saying that in our lives, we get together in a group, we get together in smaller groups, we get together with God just by ourselves, and the goal is that we would reach people for Christ and we would grow them up in Christ. It's an exciting thing to think about what can take place in the life of a congregation when we start doing in a healthy, balanced way lines and circles. Smaller looks really good on churches. It does. It does. The smaller, the better. I'm not talking about the numbers. I'm just talking about. Would you pray with me? Right now in prayer, would you do this? Would you ask God, God, would you help me to see what it is that you want me to individually do alongside of a small group of other people? It might be one, it might be three. Mike, how many of us should be involved? Well, all of us should be involved in something like that. Where are we going to meet? Don't know. Place isn't really that important. But people are that important. And Father, I pray that you would put on our minds, on our hearts, the people that you want us to intersect, the people that you want us to have conversations with, the people that you want to bring into our lives, you want us into their lives. God, you want to build your kingdom one person at a time in this community of small God, help us to get this thing right about making disciples. Help us to get big by going small. And God, I thank you for what you are going to do in the days ahead as we focus on making disciples. It's to your glory. It's for your name. It's for your kingdom's sake. It is for eternity. It is for the souls of people. It is for the effectiveness of the body. God, would you so do it in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said,